Last year, we had today's guest on talking about how she had left medical school and her professional modeling career to take up Amazon. Now she's back to talk about what she's been up to and some cool strategies for Amazon images and more. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And we've got a serious seller here who has been on the show about a year and a half ago or so. Karina, welcome back. How's it going? Hi, Bradley. I am very excited to be back. I can't believe it's already been that long. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's been forever. You were, I think, one of the first ones who did the podcast when we moved into our brand new Helium 10 office. I think you might have been the first person to like come in uh, to do a podcast there. And so how, how, how the world has changed uh, since that time, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if you guys want to hear more of her story, we're not going to go and redo her entire backstory, but it's pretty interesting, guys. You know, she went from, you know, being in, in medical school, aspiring to be a doctor and to be a, a professional model, and then she kind of pivoted to Amazon. So it's a really interesting story. Make sure to go to uh, helium10.com uh, forward slash podcast. And you'll and just type in Karina with a K, and then you'll see her original podcast episode, and you can catch up. But that's kind of like what we wanted to do is we kind of wanted to catch up with you. You know, last year we we talked a lot about your transition, you know, from those other professions into Amazon and how you had scaled up until that point, and, and you you know you were just starting off with uh, you know some new endeavors with with social media. But let's just first talk about Amazon by itself. So. How have your, your sales been? Like, what, what did you end uh, 2019 with? How, how did you do? So, yeah, definitely a lot has changed. That was like a, a lot of talking about my background, everything. I just feel like I don't even know where to start because it's been so long since we even last had a conversation. But, you know, Amazon is amazing. And I've been launching products in the low-risk market I don't know if you know, you've know you heard that before. That's kind of what I like to teach my students and kind of the philosophy that I follow. And maybe I can touch more about that. Yeah, that's, I don't think we talked about that last time. What, what, is, what do you consider like low risk uh, market? Yeah, so, and why it's so important too for right now is because with everything going on in the world and the Amazon limits, this might be actually a really good strategy to for new time sellers because their accounts have a lot of limits and even sellers with the IPI limit under 500, you know, that was a good time for everyone, spooked everyone a little bit. It's still going on now. Um, but essentially yep. it's finding products that are not doing crazy sales. So they're not selling, let's say a hundred thousand dollars a month or even $50,000 a month. Perhaps they're more conservative anywhere from 5,000. That's the minimum I say anywhere up to 30,000. But the good thing about it is that you don't need to do any crazy intense launch strategies, any giveaways. You don't need to be hustling for reviews because those markets by nature are a little bit slower moving, less reviews, 
but also with that comes a lot less risk. So to actually get into the market, you don't have to purchase as many units. You don't have to invest in um, kind of the reviews and the PPC and launches as much. So it's a very conservative method for sellers who are kind of on the fence about entering Amazon or have any type of restrictions and they don't have to place large um, MOQs. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with that. You know, like, you know, a lot of people are familiar with, with the project X case study that we did. And it, it was a very similar technique that, that, that we use where we, we didn't go after something that had like 25,000 searches per month or, you know, where the top sellers are doing 50,000, you know, we went to something small and, and, and we just crushed it and, and we grew that one stronger. So, you know, without telling us, you know, the exact product, you know, can you maybe give us an example from 2019 or 2020 where you personally did that method and, and how it turned out? I, yeah, pretty much all the products that I do are in those markets. So I do like the slow scaling process, but also to, you know, really minimize the risk because a lot of people get discouraged if they're, if they fail. So I guess a good example is to get really niche into something. And I know that's kind of overstated, but you would be surprised how many like messages and uh, product validation, which is something I do for my students, I still get. And they're these really hyped up products. Maybe they're really trendy. And for some reason, people still think that they can get into markets like that. But that is really crushing, right? I had somebody who um, she told me she was doing this really common Tupperware and it had thousands and thousands of reviews and she spent over 10 grand on inventory and shipping. Um, and all her competitors had thousands of reviews. So that was just complete no go, but something maybe I, I, it's very hard to give like a, a very example, but let's say you are in like a, a cooking niche, right? And it's something that is maybe very specific to Mexican food. Maybe it's used in like Mexican cuisine, right? Something mm -hmm. to make something. That's just like a really random example. Yeah. And when somebody looks at the numbers, maybe they don't look at as exciting. Maybe the top seller is doing 10,000 a month and you think, okay, what's the big deal here, right? Because everyone wants those winning products. But if you go niche and kind of, I wouldn't even say thinking outside of the box because some products, I one got into my Amazon inventory about two days ago. So I'm you know, working on launching that one up for that one, it was definitely something that was completely innovative. I had to think of the idea. I had to hire a graphics artist. I had to hire a person who designed it all. And that took weeks and weeks. Um, and that's something unique and in a low risk market. And conversely, I have something that is literally your plain old commodity, no effort, not no effort, but it's no innovation that had to be done from my side just to make sure that the product is of quality and has a good bundle and looks good, right? So just two completely different things, but both are in low risk markets. So it's not necessarily that it's kind of like a cookie cutter formula, but numbers wise, it has to make sense not to be uh, you know, difficult to get into the market, but it honestly could be any product. So like when you, when you look for products like this, you know, and let's say you're using like, you know, helium 10 black box or, or do you use the one where you're searching for the product out there? Or do you search for keywords where you can find the opportunity? Which one do you start with? Like, do, are you searching for products or keywords? Both. Um, actually we did a video on my YouTube channel and you were very good at the keyword method. Do you remember that? 
Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that was great. I think my audience really, really enjoyed listening to that. Um, I think both ways work. A lot of the times um, you just kind of go down the rabbit hole, you know, uh, you can start from any method and you click in and it leads you to interesting places, but any way would work. Uh, sometimes I really suggest switching it up because I know it can get frustrating doing the same method. So it's great that Helium 10 has different methods. You can do the keyword way, you can do the product way, the brands, anything, right? But the point is to switch it up so you don't feel hopeless if it's if you're kind of hitting that roadblock. Okay, that's good to know, good to know. Now, do you have any particular metrics or characteristics that to you indicate opportunity? Because everybody can find, you know, can, can pull up something in black box, you know, for Helium 10, they can pull up something that, that they just find in Amazon. But, but what are some of the characteristics that to you kind of like, say, you know what, this, this is something that, that could be a possibility, like, you know, I'm assuming maybe sometimes you look at search volume, are you looking at like a minimum number of sales at all, or a maximum number of reviews? Or what are some of those things that to you indicate opportunity? Yeah, of course, I have a whole entire metric how I, I deem products personally, right? So I think the search volume is a very key component too, because you don't want it to be too high, right? So if it's like 100,000 or even 50,000, that means there's too many searches sometimes, and that could mean competition is high. But I've seen products with 5,000 searches, 7,000 that do really well. So I think it's a balance of making sure the search volume is reasonable, but not too high and obviously not too low because you want sales but also cross-referencing that with the revenue it's making. And for me, the revenue on average should be at least 5,000. I'm not saying that's kind of what I'm going for. Obviously, if it's closer to 10,000 a month, that's great. Um, but at least 5,000, otherwise it wouldn't really make sense to go into the market and not really make much profit, right? Um, and then of course, there's the review comparison and kind of studying the market to make sure it's not something that is the same. If you're going into markets slightly more competitive, it's kind of hard to penetrate those because everyone has the same exact product. But in terms of reviews, I don't like being unrealistic and saying that you need to have um, everyone has to be below 100 or everyone has to be 30 reviews because you can outperform sellers based on the whole package deal. Maybe you bundled your product. Maybe your pictures are better. You'd be surprised how many listings you probably, you're not surprised because you're obviously in this world too. And you've worked with so many listings and brands that you mm -hmm. know how important quality uh, a listing is, especially with pictures, but people really downplay that. They don't do enough infographics. They don't do enough lifestyles. Their pictures have absolutely no annotations. And sometimes I see sellers performing well in a market with really bad pictures. And that signals to me that if you were to enter it and even differentiate, not necessarily in the product, but in the listing and the images, you can have a really huge advantage and making sure that especially your first image is rendered really well. So I think that's a huge opportunity too that I look for is obviously everything as a whole. But if the pictures, I'm not saying they have to be terrible because people are smarter these days. They know the importance of that. But if you know yeah. that you can render something and make it look more appealing, that really can give you a huge advantage when you're first launching. So so what kind of, let's talk about the negative. What kind of bad characteristics do you look for in the competition images? You know, like one thing I've shown is, is how to search for, you know, with black box, just listings that have only like 
one or two or three or four images because regardless of the quality of image, that's just a no-go. Like it's a, it looks unprofessional. It's an unprofessional seller usually when you find somebody with only two or three images. But but other than the no-brainer such as a non-compliant TOS image. Like I love to see that in the main image where mm -hmm. the person doesn't even have a white background and they could probably be suspended at any time. Like to me, that's great. But as far as the secondary images, like what other things do you look for that tell you, ooh, this seller doesn't know what they're doing. I know I could do better than this. Uh, one of the biggest one is like iPhone photos. People still do that. Of course, those aren't really big time sellers because people who are serious know the know that that's not going to fly. Mm -hmm. But it's very common to see those, especially in obviously, again, if you're it, if you're saying this for big markets, let's say computers or something that has thousands of reviews, I don't see these mistakes there because they're big brands and they know it. But if you're going for like private label markets that are smaller, people will do normal photography, for example, they won't spend the time to edit the photos to make them look more high resolution and more sharper. Um, and it's just a picture. Sometimes it is what it is, right? I believe that rendering does much more service to a product than actually a picture. I think people are so advanced in rendering and Photoshop that it can actually look so much more professional if you do it that way. So like clear, crisp, perfect. Um, people don't have annotations in their pictures. They don't put the benefits of the product on the picture. And I think that pictures should be the ones selling your product before someone even has to go and read all the bullets. Because when I purchase things on Amazon, I, I honestly, I can't remember the last time I read bullets. Again, that's me. Other people yeah. know, but you want to cover all your bases. Obviously your bullets and description has to be perfect, but annotating in short phrases, not long paragraphs, because nobody reads those either. Um, people don't do compare and contrast charts. That's what I really like to do is comparing you versus another brand without obviously saying what brand they are. Um, and in the images you're saying? Yeah, in the images, mm -hmm. so kind of like a visual. Uh, people also don't highlight the most important function of the product. They assume that the customer knows, which for the most time is true, but you also can have an edge if you can nudge someone over and really emphasize the reason they're purchasing it. I don't see lifestyle images that often too in some markets, which I think also helps enhance the listing. Let, let me ask you this about, about that. This is a question I have. And to me, this is annoying, but I don't like seeing the Amazon listings that have the lifestyle image where it's obviously like a stock photography yeah. and then they kind of like photoshopped into the person's hand or something, the product. Mm -hmm. Like in your opinion, if you don't have the ability to pay like for a photography and yeah, you know what? Sometimes lifestyle photography sessions and, and if you do it professionally, it costs like five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800. A lot of sellers might not have that, but what's your opinion? Should they still try and do a lifestyle image with like stock photography and and like good Photoshopping, or it's better not to come off cheesy at all and just skip it for now? I think it's about training the eye. So there are a lot of products I've seen where it looks very, very obvious that it's Photoshopped. For example, it's a kitchen and you can see a pot and the pot's kind of melting into the counter. Something really obvious that this was Photoshopped on. Or for example, the lifestyle image is very crisp and professional and then their product photo is not of the same quality so it looks a little bit more pixelated edited on and i think that looks very bad 
However, I have seen some where I know that this is lifestyle because I searched it, for example, and I, and there are actually some products that do appear already pre-photographed in some sites that you can buy licenses to. So from that case, like, why not? If no one else is doing it, if you're the first one to get that picture and it already has the object, maybe you just need to change the color or add your logo, you can send that in, of course. I think that will turn out really beautifully. And if you have a talented person and if you pick a picture of very high quality that is easy to Photoshop, then I think it could pass. But you really, you have to be honest with yourself about it. If you have the slight inclination that it, it looks Photoshop, then you better not do it because everybody else will know as well. But if you are confident and you're honest with yourself that this does look really well, then I don't think buyers will know. Okay, so then what, if somebody doesn't have the full amount to invest in product photography, like super, super high quality, What's a low budget way that, you know, maybe you're, I mean, obviously I'm sure you, you do it the, the full way because mm -hmm. you're a big baller now, Karina, but, uh, for your, your newer students who like might, who barely can just get by with getting enough money for their inventory, what's a way how somebody can ball on a budget as far as photography goes? Like, yeah. you know, what's the bare minimum, like at the bare minimum, should they still get like white background photography or is it possible to just somehow take amazing iPhone pictures of a product and then have like, you know, go to Upwork and have somebody do really good photoshopping that doesn't look like photoshopping. So, so what do you suggest to your students who, who are on a low budget for photography? Yeah. So for those on a low budget, I think product images is not something you should not invest into because it's, hmm. it's, it can make or break your image or your whole, I mean, your whole listing, your whole product, because People won't click on it in PPC campaigns. People won't see it on the first page. It just won't be up to par with everybody else. So if you have that, I need more money for this, then I think you're better off waiting until you can get, I'm going to comment on the, the uh, on a budget way in a second, but you should invest into that for sure. But that's why the whole uh, ordering a lower MOQ, ordering less product may help you kind of disperse your budget so you can have more for pictures, but I definitely think I am a huge supporter of finding and rendering pictures. I think a lot of the products are already photographed on, on a kind of a stock image. This is not always the case, but you can send it to uh, Photoshop artists. They can, you can have it rendered. There's a lot of options, but as far as iPhone photography, I'm actually really against that. I don't teach my students that. I've never tried it because it just seems too complicated. I think there's too many settings and there's no way an iPhone picture can look that good. Um, mm -hmm. I would recommend finding someone who can render it for maybe like $30 a picture, $60 a picture. I don't know the rates, but they can do that. I mean, huge companies do it all the time. The, the products they have, it's a lot of the times it is made in 3d form online not just photography like on photography i really think that's less expensive too okay good to know now l let's just switch gears we've been talking about listing optimization and some things that can help sellers you know by by having good copy good uh, images and we talked a little bit about how to find products but let's go to the negative side uh is there anything that's happened to you like in the last year and a half since we've talked that was bad, you know, like a failure or, 
or Amazon just out of the blue shut down your account or shut down a listing or you had a hijacker or or you you lost money on something like is there anything that you're willing to uh, share with us that maybe some can help people out there that yeah. it could be something they could run into? For sure. We just really switch gear to very negative very fast, but that's this good. It helps. Yep. I mean, we, like I, I, I go all over the place here. We, uh, I, I like going up, up, up and down, up and down. You know, I, I used to teach uh, Zumba, as most people know. And, and the, 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 the way you teach Zumba is you like do a really, really fast song. And then you like bring your heart rate down by doing a slow song. And you do a really fast song again. So like we had some really positives. I'm like, there's too much good vibes here. We got to get some negative vibes because, hey, people need to understand that Amazon is not all unicorns and rainbows. Things happen, you know, and and how people deal with it and bounce back, I think is really important. And so it's good to hear like real life experiences from somebody like you who who obviously hasn't given up on Amazons, but I'm sure something bad has happened, has had to have happened to you. Of course, it happens honestly all the time, not anything dramatic, like things getting shut down because I do everything kind of white hat, right? I don't do anything that would break terms of service or anything suspicious that would get me flagged because I think that's better long-term. But of course I've had failed products and I share them on my YouTube channel. I've made several videos about that there in my course um, everywhere, right? Because I want people to learn from my mistakes. And that's why the whole point of me educating people. And a lot of the time, it's not even the dramatic things that get people to stop, such as a failed product. It's the little things that don't even get people to the point of launching their first product. Because I can see how easy it can be if you don't have your goal in in mind. Because from the day to day of me doing it, I, I do have moments of frustration. For example, like even something as silly as your images not updating, right? You've got this graphic designer. He made you these amazing pictures. You can't wait to split test them. And then Amazon doesn't upload them for like over a day. And now you have to call them and you're on the phone with them for 45 minutes. And it's, you feel like you're wasting your time because why can't it just be so easy to click a button and have them upload, right? Mm -hmm. Just silly things like that or a hijacker. I had one the other day. I... And in the retrospect, it's such little things because they had seven of my inventory. I'm pretty sure it was fake, but I just bought it all because I didn't want to get bad reviews and I knew it was a fake. So I sent them mm -hmm. to my own house. <laughs> but at that moment in time, it's just if you get this kind of emotional reaction to this, how, how can someone do this? It's so annoying. I'm losing sales. I didn't even notice this. And I lost like 10 sales from this product because it's been up for like half a day, right? So, but then you buy it and the next day it's gone and you think how silly was it me, of me to waste my energy, even being slightly agitated at something so silly because you realize that these little things will come up. They came up when I first started, they came up the past year, the past two years, they're going to keep coming up, not just in Amazon, but anywhere in life. It's like sometimes things don't work out as you plan them, but you have to be persistent and know that everything is just kind of a stepping stone. And even if your listing does get shut down, and if you, if you had a failed product, of course, I've had failed, failed products, you know, thousands of dollars just down the drain, or now you have all this inventory, but you learn to adapt and you learn to not repeat mistakes. And for me personally, I pass them on to my students. It's like, this is why I favor these low risk markets because yeah, I bounce back. But what if somebody sees that as such a discouragement and they never want to pick up another Amazon product again, but it's not, it's really not a big deal. It's, I forgot about those products so long ago. Right. So it's all about not letting those tiny little things get in the way of your big vision. Good points. Good points. 
So, I mean, yeah, it can happen to anybody. You know, the Project X account guys, uh, the coffin shelf was like suppressed listing for like three days because they didn't like one word that was in the the listing. And they said uh, it's confusing to customers. And it was like, you know, I I fixed it in like five seconds. You know, Uh, there wasn't anything wrong with it. Like the way I had it was in compliance, but just whatever algorithm tripped it. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to fight them. I'm just going to fix it, take it out the word. And five seconds I had it done. It still took like 48 hours to to come back. So uh, these little things happen every now and then. And then sometimes big things happen, you know, like mm-hmm. you can get suspended or something on Amazon, but but you just got to know how to how to deal with this. Almost almost anything, as long as you've done, you know, the right things, guys, uh, most problems can be taken care of on Amazon. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. I don't think in the past time that we had you on, we talked about PPC strategy. So I'm just curious as as far as your PPC strategy, we talk, or the, the thing that we did talk about last time is how you pretty much just use it for, um, or you just use PPC for launch as opposed to like other mm-hmm. tactics or promotions. So my first question is, do you still use PPC only for launch? And then what is some of your general tips and strategies you can give us on, on what you found successful in the last year with running your PPC campaigns? Yeah. Um, in the markets that I advocate for, the low risk ones, the only real way to launch is with PPC because how else are you going to do it? I know in the past, this definitely news of the past, the heavy discounted sales, right? That doesn't fly so much with Amazon for, for quite some time now. So it's, it's hard to kind of trick the algorithm in that way. But I've actually never launched my product that way with those types of giveaways. But PPC is quite a powerful tool. And if you're in those markets, you're more easily noticeable because like I've said, you know, how to get the best photography or pictures. I talk all about that in more detail on on all of my other content. But once you have that squared away, then your PPC impressions and clicks are going to be higher, right? The click-through rate, people will be interested. And that's a huge, huge, huge advantage. Obviously, PPC is very complex. And there's a lot of moving parts um, and there's so many different approaches. But I think one of the biggest things that um, aside from launching it that I can share is how to not burn money on it. And that comes from really optimizing it. And it's not even as hard as, um, you know, not not anything crazy. Just just I'm thinking podcast wise, try to give the most actionable step is to filter your campaigns by mm-hmm. spend when you get create your report. And then see what words are actually burning through your budget without getting any sales. You'd be surprised how many people leave them on without checking them for weeks, months, and they see an ACOS and it's like, okay, that's good enough for me. But if they were to trim down on those words that are burning through their budget, they could use that for other maybe longer and tail longer tailed keywords, right? And get sales there. But there's no reason to be burning your budget on words that are just getting so many impressions and no sales or even like so many clicks and not a smart. What are your numbers as far as what you decide? I mean, it sounds like I need to get you using ads by Helium 10 because it's so easy to see what you just said without even having to download reports. But just you personally, like how many clicks do you see without a sale where you're like, you know what? I need to like negative match this keyword. Are you looking at the number of clicks or how much you're actually spending on that keyword before you decide to say, we, we, we better stop this keyword? Yeah, obviously you do want clicks. It's it's all within reason. So some words you give them a chance. So 10 clicks has been is a good number, but okay. obviously there are words that will just never get clicks and how you you know, you can 
that's also not a good thing to do. Yeah. Or they get maybe two clicks, a lot of impressions. And it's been, let's say the impressions outweigh. So, okay, this is kind of difficult to explain. Say the impressions and the click ratio to one word is significantly higher, the impressions to another word, but that other word has more clicks and less impressions. So that tells you, okay, so why is that other word getting thousands of impressions more and no clicks? And every time there's a click, it's a very expensive click. So over time, if you're waiting and waiting and waiting, that's going to really, really add up. Okay, so about 10 clicks or, or sometimes if, if you have a lot of impressions, even though you might have not spent, but if, if nobody's clicking on it, I mean, that's an indication, yeah, I guess in, the, in that sense that it might not even be a relevant, uh, a relevant term. Now, are you utilizing any non-traditional campaigns? Like when I say traditional, we're talking just the product, you know, sponsored product, you know, keyword targeting. So are you doing sponsored product for, or actually product targeting, I should say, ads or the headline ads now called sponsored brands or sponsored display or videos. Are you doing any of those uh, other kinds yet? I think when you're starting out, the most important one is kind of just the general ones and then the product targeting. Those can really help out a lot. Some products are really, really good on that and you don't know until you try it. But I've had some products where it, the ACOS is so much stronger than any other traditional ads. So it's quite powerful. Okay, cool. Now, how do you set your budget when you're launching for PPC compared to what it's going to be normally? Like, is it higher during launch or is it the same as you, you have it at all times? No, it's, it's kind of lower, I would say, actually. So I don't go too aggressive on the launches because usually in the beginning, I don't have that many reviews to start with. And I know that eventually it's going to catch up more. So I just do like, honestly, in a conservative way. And I suggest for my students, so you can start on $10 auto and then maybe $20 or $30 on manual on each group and then see how it goes after, you know, a couple of days, see how the traction is and then optimize. And it will show you that obviously you need to up some campaigns that are doing really well. So I think that's a good starting point. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Now, what about, have you ever run out of stock of a product in the last year? Yes. And so like, how do you, how do you bounce back from that? So people over-dramatize running out of stock. I actually ran out of stock for one product. So I underestimated the market. Um, and I don't like doing it because obviously you're missing out on sales. Um, but sometimes you just don't have a choice, right? This specific product had a, first off, it had a 30-day lead time and a 30-day uh, sea fright time. So that's already mm -hmm. two months of, right? That's very long. and. Thankfully, I found a supplier that already had it in stock with a few modifications. So I got that down to 30 days and I could see it coming, right? I could see it coming immediately three days after launch that this is going to run out of stock like ASAP. So I immediately placed an order and I was selling a lot, a lot. It was like nonstop. I was not expecting without any reviews with very low PPC. It just started ranking intensely. Um, ran out of stock probably three weeks faster than I thought minimum. I did not know it was going to sell that much. You ran out of stock in three weeks of a product? No, I ran out of stock. Well, I ordered, so I thought that it would sell more conservatively. I was expecting it to maybe do, I don't know, like five to 10,000 a month. And I thought since I'm launching and I have no reviews, it's going to take more traction. So that was that. And then 
without running any ads, I got four sales for no reason. And then once I turned yeah. the ads on, it was like just taking off, right? Nonstop. So yeah, I ran out of stock, but I'm back up now in ranking. So it's all fine. Did you have to do anything special though? Like, you know, that, that was what I was mainly looking for. Like we were out of stock for X amount of time. And then like, did you close your listings at all or you just kept it open? Uh, did you try and go harder on PPC once you came back or you were able to get your sales like right back from as soon as you went back into stock? It was definitely a transition. So it wasn't immediately I was starting to get sales. It probably took me a week to a week and a half to start getting back my traction. And I did have to rank back to the first page, but again, it was all done with PPC. So obviously I was on the first page when the, the first bash came in with sales in a few days. Um, and then, and my philosophy, not philosophy, but my reasoning, my guess for this situation isn't necessarily because of like the algorithm. I think that the market got more competitive since I was off of it. That's what I'm yeah. thinking because I, I obviously I checked the sellers. There was more people. So it's, it doesn't really have to do with not being able to get back. It just has to do more with now there's more competition for the same amount of searches. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we, similar thing with us, we ran out of the coffin shelf for project X like two, three times. And, you know, it took, it took a few days to, to get the momentum back. You know, it's mm -hmm. really, you know, shows you that it is important to try and keep your inventory in stock and, and to, to forecast it. And that's why we came out with the inventory management in helium 10, because so many people were telling us like they, it was brutal for them to, to run out of stock and they could never get some could never get the momentum back, but that's good to hear that that wasn't the case with you. Now, you know, we're coming up into, we're here now in, you know, Q4 and, and, you know, Christmas season is going to be starting. What, what's some of your strategies that you can tell people like, what, what should they start doing with their existing listings? Like maybe it's not necessarily a Christmas product. You know, it's not like a Christmas ornament or something specific to Christmas, but it's something that, you know, sales probably might go up because people might like to gift it. So like, mm -hmm. do you suggest changing the listing at all to like have a picture in there that shows a gift or like to get people's mindset more towards the gift or, or do they do different things for PPC or anything, you know, because you're expecting like a big um, increase in sales during November and December or what's your, what's your uh, suggestion there? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea and why not, right? Um, people gift everything during Christmas, stocking stuffers, big presents, and anything can really be a gift. So yeah, maybe put a Christmas tree in there, like a nice little lifestyle image. Um, I know for PPC, you can try running it for kind of those giftable items. Maybe if it's, if you're selling a toy, like kids, Christmas present, something like that. Um, that I also think that really depends on the type of product and the budget, because that might get really competitive um, with other sellers doing the same thing. So that might be very expensive, but I do think hopefully um, some products, I've actually had some products that didn't really change during Q4 because they were very kind of like in the beauty, they were personal to the human using it. It's not, wasn't really giftable, but I, the one that I got in stock two days ago, I'm actually um, definitely a great gifting item. So I think that's going to do quite well during Q4, but yeah, if it's a giftable, make sure, maybe put a Christmas present too in the listing and uh, kind of highlight that it's gift wrap available because Amazon does that too. I think people yep. love that component of sa saving time and make it known, known on the listing that they can gift wrap it for you and put it in the bullet or something. 
that, that that's a great reminder. You know, I forgot about that. I haven't mentioned that in a while, but if you guys are using FBA, every single listing that you have, you guys need to go into the edit listing and put gift wrap available. It's just a simple check mark. You will never be charged for it. The customer is going to be charged for it, but they pay Amazon for it. But that could be the difference of you getting a sale and not, you know, like if somebody's wanting to gift the product and they're looking for that gifting where they can wrap it and, and your, your item doesn't have that, but your competitor does, well, they're, they might get the sale instead of you, but that could very well be vice versa. Your competitor doesn't have it and you have it. So that's a great thing to do. And then that's an interesting point that you bring up. You can even call that out in the listing. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's totally within terms of service mm-hmm. should be fine where, where you can just say, Hey, gift wrap is available and, and then just let them know um, that, that it is. So that's, that's a great tip now. And also, sorry, Brad, interrupt. you can also maybe mention that you can put whatever message you want. The Amazon lets you put a little note too. So if they want it to be something special or ship it to somebody without, you know, any of that, that's a good thing for them to know as well. Some customers might not know that they could put a note. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, off of Amazon, you know, you've been one of those who who goes and 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 likes uh, helping helping people as well. You know, you mentioned here you have students. So, so how's that going? Like, you started a like you know a, a big uh, YouTube channel, I think, and and unless I'm mistaken, you've got a podcast and and different things. What what are how has your experience been in the educational side of Amazon since that was something? semi knew you. I don't think you were too much into that when we talked, but but you've really scaled up as far as that goes in the last year. Yeah. So when we last talked, um, I had my YouTube channel. I was posting videos. That was amazing. But um, I also have a full, um, I call it into a millies because that's my handle everywhere. So it's in, mm-hmm. it's my full A to Z program. So it's your standard how to take your product from knowing nothing about Amazon to obviously launching it and getting sales and scaling, right? Um, but I also more recently created something that's a little bit unique in the FBA community and the private label one, should I say? It's called the PL Club. So like the private label club, the PL Club. And essentially there it's students and it's constantly updating content. So we have case studies in there. We have um, like videos. You were in it, Bradley. Remember we did a video for it um, a couple of months ago. So Mm -hmm. it's just essentially really focusing on product research and any new Amazon updates. And it's pretty much a community of sellers. We have a private um, chat. We have product validation, which is something new that I um, put on the platform so people could be very confident about their product. And it's essentially more focused on support and community so that sellers can interact with one another. They can ask questions to another. I'm always there monitoring and, you know, supporting 24 email support, things like that. But um, it's the reason I invented it is because going with the entire low risk approach, not only to finding products, but in education, because some courses can be pricey. But this, uh, I made it really affordable. So it's $7 for anyone who joins um, as a trial. And then they could be subscribed for a small monthly fee to get all the content, all the updates. And with that, if they are just looking to start or try out or you know need more product research methods, that's that whole platform is just going to help them be masters at finding products. So then once they are confident in that, they can really go over the moon and you know finish up the rest with any other supplemental education if they wish to carry on. Okay, cool. So before we get into your 30 second tip, how can people find, uh, you know, you on, on social media and, 
and find out more about your your coaching and, and um, education that you provide? Yeah. So my handle is into a milli. Um, my club is theplclub.com and my YouTube channel is Karina into a milli. So, uh, yeah, just, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere <laughs> pretty much. All right, cool, cool. Now, you know, you've been giving us lots of tips and strategies. I don't remember if we had this last year when you came on, but we have this part of the show we call the tss or the TST 30 second tip. So you've been giving us lots of tips, but what, what's something that maybe you can say in 30 seconds or less that is highly actionable and, and you think very valuable for, for our listeners to implement in their Amazon business? Um, well, take your time to, to think of it too. Oh no, I can just tell you one. It's not going to be anything like revolutionary, but I think it is important. Um, the whole like low risk thing, just order a small MOQ. If you're on the fence, just do it. It's not going to kill you financially. It's going to push you forward and you never know like if you have doubts about a product it could actually be the one that takes off and does really well and you will feel so encouraged even if you get a few sales just a few sales without you know with that actionable step you will want to do more it's it's a psychological thing you know foot in the door you get one sale you have hope that you will get other ones but if you don't order at all if you're scared by investing so much money you're never going to um, succeed in this. So start small. Don't be worried about ordering a small amount. Just do it. And you can potentially be very pleasantly surprised at the results. Okay. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming back on the show. And we'd love to see how you scale up for the rest of 2020 and then maybe even bring you back in 2021 and, and see uh, what level of tycoon status you're on by then. How time flies, huh? Wow. Time flies when we're having fun or even when the world is not having fun. I mean, time yeah. time flies because with Am if you're a seller on Amazon, I guess like it's you, you keep so busy that time does fly no matter what else is happening in the world. That is true. Well, thank you for having me on, Bradley. It's always a good time. All right. Thanks a lot, Karina. We'll see you next time.